Live part Jeremy's eye and part Becca. I was wondering where that was from. Quick segue onto our article. We need a band. Yes. Yeah, we do. All right, I'll do the intro. Okay. All right. You got it? I got it. Totally got this. Welcome to Jeremy's Eye, and it is the weekly chat about science, research, and diving watches. With me, Justin G-Shock. And me, Justin Submariner. I'm glad we have someone who can join us in our anagram game. We take proper names and rearrange the letters to form a description of that person. Like, uh, Alec Okay, firstly, the first thing we need to do on mm-hmm. this podcast, yeah. Jeremy Zion, mm-hmm. um, is do a bit of listener mail. So we, we talk about science, we talk about research. And listeners. And we talk about our listeners who write yeah. in, jeremyzionpodcast at gmail.com. Uh-huh. Um, the first little piece of mail comes from Jane Andrews from the UK. Jane Andrews. Yeah. Uh, can you and J-Bob talk, about, talk to me about eggs? Why did someone say I couldn't eat them every day when I was 10 and then suddenly I could again and now apparently I can't anymore? Hashtag false egative. False egative. I don't get it. False negative, dude. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding good. me? Sorry. That was like my Sorry. favorite part Sorry. of the whole thing. Sorry. It was like one big setup for me. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I'm with you. Jane, I, I, I loved it. Don't worry. Don't worry about this guy. Uh, I think eggs are an interesting one. I feel like it's quite polarizing and something... Uh, yeah, look, I didn't used to eat eggs for a really long time mm. because I thought they were disgusting. Had nothing to do with health. So you're going to be absolutely useless in answering uh-huh. this, I feel. But they taste great now. If they're cooked well, if they're cooked badly, they smell like fart. <laughs> so don't eat them. The scientific answers on there Jeremy's eye. That's all that I... No, but... We like going through the research. I think we it like... was... I, you know, I think, to be honest, it was about a cholesterol thing, right? And so there was massive cholesterol sort of... Uh, Fear hyping yep. for a long time, and I think eggs they mm. were saying were high in certain kinds of cholesterol. Mm. And I think one of the big things has changed in the last couple of years is our view, at least currently, our view about what cholesterol means to us. Mm. Um, and I think that with that changing idea of sort of the good and the bad of cholesterol, means that eggs have been sort of decriminalized. Right, right. So eat them. Solve for you, Jane. Uh, next piece of mail from Mark from Bondi or, or Jane. Have you heard of Google? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great like why why are you waiting for a podcast about eggs <laughs> this is the least efficient way for you to get your answer listeners write into us and we'll direct you to google uh mark from bondi says after listening to your episode on acupuncture yeah you guys always focus on the physical body why do you never focus on the mental body on the energetic body, body. so why don't we talk about like mer- meridians and 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 energy. prime meridians <laughs> Prime meridians yeah. and uh, energy transfers and, and, you know, sitting in a room and feeling each other's auras and that kind of stuff. Like I don't want you to feel my auras. Also, I think <clears throat> the Meridian, I'm pretty sure is a service department brand. 
That, that, is that true? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, so there we go. That's why we don't talk about it. Right, we're not sponsored. It doesn't really... Science and, I guess... Meridian talk. Chi. Yeah, there's not really much. Well, the thing is, we have talked about it, right? <clears throat> well, that's what I'm saying. In that Especially episode. in the acupuncture one, we did talk about chi. Sure, but we we, I think we wrote, off, we wrote off any what? kind of potential evidence yeah. for some sort of energy within human, humans, right? And I mm. think we're naturally skeptical of that kind of line of thinking, aren't we? Well, yeah, because like what well, you said in the beginning, this is a podcast about evidence, yeah. right? And research. And so, unfortunately, we don't have any evidence so far that I'm aware of that supports anything to do with energies. Um, and we had a chat about this a while ago, and my personal feeling about the matter is, while I'm open to <clears throat> anything being possible, yeah. um, from first principles, if someone claims that there is something, that there is a an energy between people or around people or auras, yep, that must mean that they have some experience of it, right? Mm-hmm. There must be some subjective experience that allows them to believe that, I would hope. Otherwise... They're believing something that they can't even feel. That they can't even feel or see they, or just, test. Yeah, they like the idea, right? So yeah. I would hope that if we are meant to take it seriously, that's because some people, some population, have some lived experience of what that is. So it should be, te- as you're saying, it should be testable. I think it's testable. Anything that where you can have a lived sub- subjective experience of it, right, mm-hmm. can be tested against someone who does not have that experience, right, right, and you can put that into some controlled conditions, and someone should be able to tell you given certain situations that they control themselves, they can get the whole thing ready to go, whether or not there's anything detectable, whether they can find it on or off, or even some sort of really, really crude qualitative or quantitative assessment of this energy. Mm. You know, it doesn't have to be seen. That's the thing. People tend to think, oh, science can't see it, therefore it's not real. Yeah. Right? Science well, therefore can't, can't be can't test yeah, Science yeah. can't see love, therefore it's not real. Well, no, we can't see love right, with like a love-o-meter. No. But well, we can, can test people's responses. You can test just, people's responses. Yeah. You can do all kinds of things. You can ask if I subjective. Jab, yeah, if I jab a loved one in the yeah in their stomach. Yeah, do they like it? No. Well, the, no. the partner would react. They would react to it. So anything, even things that you can't see, as long as there is a sub- subjective experience of it being real to someone, hmm. you should be able to test for it in the right conditions. So I'm all I've said to Mark was. I haven't seen any evidence of anyone showing that this is there is any measurable subjective experience of this. Now, I'm happy to be shown wrong, and I'm happy for listeners to write in with any papers that they think um, uh, might support this yeah. or, and refute me. But I think the biggest evidence that I have for this kind of stuff, maybe this is sort of a lazy heuristic, but do you know about James Randi? No, name's not familiar at right. all. So James Randi, super cool guy, still mm. alive, I'm pretty sure. Um, was a magician back in like the 70s, 80s. Right. He might be Canadian as well, I think. Mm-hmm. So he took his Magic Stay show, right? And then he did sort of what Houdini did in his later years, which was Houdini used to do, uh, you know, all of his magic tricks, and which are about suspending did he, wait, did, your did disbelief. Did he disappear from the internet and from people's collective memories? Is that why I've not, never heard of the guy? Because that yes. would be a pretty amazing final trick. That was trip. it. He was there. You knew him, and yeah. now he's gone. Yeah. <laughs> We spoke about him, okay. and you forgot him. Um, so Houdini, in his later years, um, was hell-bent on proving that mediums and psychics were bunk, yep. right? Because they were preying upon him. I think his mother died. He was very close to his mother, and he found himself being preyed upon for a while by psychics. And then he sort of wisened up and spent his later years kind of showing how seances and all those rituals were totally bubkish. Bullshit. Randy sort of followed suit. <clears throat> he was a magician for many years and then decided to use sort of his... Uh, 
showmanship and his kind of knowledge of how people are fooled uh, to show that most of this psychic kind of jabber is all fake. Um, and so he put up like years ago, I think back in the 80s, um, I, I think it was ultimately raised to somewhere around a million dollar prize for anyone who can prove in testable conditions that they have any psychic ability of any sort. So whether it's spoon bending or mind reading, anything. He's like, you name it, you dictate whatever it is you want me to test. And we're going to put it into something, some testable condition. Anything can be tested. Right. And if you can... I didn't know this. This is... Yeah. So and he's like, if you can <clears throat> prove it, million dollars, tax-free, free and clear. I'm not sure it was tax-free, but it doesn't, it doesn't really it's matter, a, It's right? a donation. But he's some, like... It's a gift. Yeah. He's like, it's yours. Yeah. Million dollars, check sitting here waiting for it. All you got to do... That's pretty cool from the, from a guy who's yeah. like basically got a whole career ba- on know, fooling built people. up on fooling people. Yeah. And So he's like, look, just show me that it's real. All you got to do is prove it. You tell everyone it's real... If it's real, you get a million dollars. Double bonus. You're a psychic and you're a millionaire. Well, and I think we're, we're going to offer the ability for Mark to come on the show and illustrate. But what's interesting, right, is not only did Randy never give out the million dollars, but very few people ever even applied right. for the prize okay. money. Yeah, yeah. And that tells you something about the intentions of the people who claim to have the psychic abilities, right? So I think that's what's so cool about the prize. Is it's just this, like, this symbolic wall. That keeps people away from even doing it. So, anyway, that's my feeling on it. If anyone wants to tell me otherwise, and I might even do some casual reading about it myself, but that's where I sit on that. Podcast at gmail.com. Give us mm. uh, your thoughts. Uh, Carl from Coogee, and this is what's going to form the basis of today's episode. Of today, yeah. today's episode. Send us a little uh, link to something that he found interesting about sunscreen. Uh, it was an article suggesting that sunscreen is not all it's cracked up to be. And there's quite a few of these floating around over mm-hmm. over the last, well, I would say year or so, 2018, there's been a few of these big that have slop. popped up. Um, big what? Big slop. Big slop. <laughs> the big industry of slop. Yeah. Um, they're, they're basically suggesting that sunscreen's not as effective as we think it is. Uh-huh. In fact, it might be bad for you bad for you exactly Mm -hmm. so we're going to investigate that after the break Uh, and that's kind of what we do we pick a particular topic to investigate this is controversial this one's really good i like this and when you sent it to me what did i tell you what did i say you said this is juicy this is where i want to be damn this is juicy yeah yeah um so we're going to investigate that in the second half we've got a hot lead of the show the first half might be quite quite short today i've only got a few of these but we do a a segment called news just in which is me relaying a couple of the um most Recent scientific pieces of research, which I don't town. know, which I don't know about. You don't know. I this don't is, know. This is sight unseen for yeah. one. Justin, what was your name? Justin Submariner. Submariner. Yeah. Um. So let's do that. Should we do news, Justin? Yeah. All right. I yeah, usually. I'm ready. We should have I'm a ready. theme for this, but we'll have one. Anyway, okay. Uh, news, Justin. Uh huh. Hit me. A, a team of researchers from McMaster University, that's in Canada. It is. Yeah. Yep has discovered a new technique to examine how musicians intuitively coordinate with one another during a t- performance. Oh, dude. So this is like... You, you know where this goes for me, right? I, I had a feeling you might be turned on by this. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, basically, the, the, they've developed a way of figuring out how they can silently predict how each other will express mm-hmm. the music. Um, and it was based on this uh, classical trio called the Griffin Trio which is an acclaimed chamber music ensemble. Uh-huh. And each performer was fitted with a motion capture marker. Well, lots of motion capture markers. We call that mocap. Mocap to track their movements while they played both happy and sad musical excerpts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they play them with musical expression and then without. So they played it with sort of emotion or whatever. Yeah. And then they were asked to play it, just, you know, hit the notes and play it yeah. robotically in like metronomically, right? Shut up and play the hits. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is interesting. I, I read, as soon as I read the headlines for this, I'm like, this sounds awesome. I'm yeah. all about this. Yeah. Um, I then got really into the depths of it and it started getting quite confusing, but there are little pieces of like little gems so in this piece some. of research. Okay. So, because <clears throat> you know, for listeners who don't know, I don't think I've raised this yet. I'm a huge fan of jam bands, Fish, Grateful <laughs> Dead, right? Yeah. And so, and that is all about like 15 minute jams and it's all cues, right? It's all these subtle cues of how they kind of meander through these tracks. Yeah. So I'm down with anything about. So basically the, the, the way they've tested it yeah. is using, um, uh, using mathematical techniques, something called Granger causality. I've heard of that. Really? Because I'd never heard of so. this. I think I've heard of Granger something. So Granger causality is a statistical estimation of the degree to which one time series mm-hmm. is predicted by the history of another time series. Oh, yeah. Cool. Over and above the prediction of its own history. So obviously, if you've got some kind of time series, yeah. and this, this will apply to our music scenario in a second, but just yeah, think okay. about you know stocks or something, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a time series. You can probably pre- you can often predict where it's going to go from its history, right? Sure. If it's tracking upwards, yeah. you can probably guess it's going to keep going upwards, etc. We can extrapolate. You can extrapolate. Yeah, exactly. Granger causality tries to figure out what part of um, it tries to basically tries to figure out whether there's another time series that can more aptly predict the current value of the present time series, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically, like for example, if, if you have so it's looking for patterns, not trends. Yeah, but that's right. But it's it's looking to show uh, the explanatory power from one variable onto the other ver- variable. So the history yeah, right. of one variable impacting yeah. the current variable, the current value of this mm-hmm. variable, right? Um, well, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. So basically, that it started with economic applications, and now it's gone into um, neuroscience, neuro neuroimaging, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, for example, if you have one part of the brain with a certain uh, fluctuating level of activity um, <clears throat> and another part of the brain with that same fluctuating activity, yeah. the question is, which one's leading which one? So, which of these sort of time series, if you will, these yeah. fluctuations yeah, yeah. is affecting the other one, right? Uh-huh. Or are they both just yeah. caused by something else? Uh-huh. So, this is essentially what they're trying to get at with this particular piece of research. And... They've looked at <clears throat> when musicians are swaying backwards and forwards. Yeah. They're actually providing each other with information, with visual cues and, and that kind of thing. Like bumblebees. Like, well, like bumblebees, right? So, w- when they were playing with emotion, yeah. and they were sort of swaying backwards and forwards, as one might yeah. when one's playing, yeah. they found yeah. that there was... They're doing a dance. Yeah. There's yeah. this really quite a striking correlation. This Granger... What is it? Granger causality is quite yeah. strong, such that... Me moving backwards and forwards is actually causing you to move backwards and forwards with me. Like we're all, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Harmon- right? Harmonious bobbing, right? Harmonious, harmonious bobbing. Which also is a great name, name of for my you. soul album. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's pretty cool. The idea that <clears throat> while if we're trying to play something just metronomically, we don't get that sort of yeah. check in with that sort of emotional content, right? Uh-huh. But as soon as we start swaying, it's almost like, waves were kind of going together yeah that's why awesome. swaying affects yours but it's basically part um they're trying to show that it's some kind of like information um what do they call it um 
Yeah, we're sending information to each other. Sure. But this also goes back to Mark's question about energy, right? Because mm. we were talking to Brad, former guest of the podcast, Brad Wong, mm. uh, about energies. And, you know, people talk about energy being used to explain how people kind of the, the psychic communication between two parties, right? Mm. You know, how is this unspoken, unseen means of uh, sort of, of uh, establishing rapport or whatever it is, that psychic energy that people seem to have. Mm. It could be a lot less mysterious if it's a combination of these subtle physical cues, pheromones, which we all know about, right? But it sounds like there's a lot more to our emotions and you know probably the subtle movements we make mm. that aren't being appreciated. That's right. And they found that the performance when they were metronomic yeah. uh, was, was not as accurate as it was when they were actually swaying together and... Incorporating Which is why emotion into you gotta hate music that's played to a click track, right? Yeah, that's it, man. I used to do that. Uh, you played to a click track. Well, no, but I, I was I was known as a cyborg when I was playing in the in the band because I would try to be so metronomic. Yeah. And now I'm re- I'm reading this, man, and I'm you know I should have just been feeling down, it. Like, should have just been autobonds of communication, right? Of of, uh, of unspoken cues. Mm. That's amazing. That's so really it's cool. A pretty interesting study. Yeah. I, I love the uh, the vision of having these musicians with a whole bunch of like motion sensors on them and stuff. Yeah. You could totally take that on stage for just aesthetic, right? Fish would love that. Yeah. Right. Uh, news just in. Yeah. A team of scientists has determined the number of asteroid impacts on the moon and Earth increased by two to three times starting around the 290 million years ago mark. This is... Interesting. Masrui et al., Mm. In, in science I've always wondered about that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah So basically <clears throat> They found on Earth that, that You can date craters Sure Right Of like, you can You can I don't know how they do it But they a crater in the Earth You can figure out Radio when it was crater made. dating Yeah <laughs> yeah, speed dating of craters. <laughs> yeah. um, they basically speed found dating. They figured out that A lot of the craters Started around this 290 million year ago mark Yeah and before then there was Quite few, quite a lot fewer, right? Um, so they were trying to figure out why that is, and there was these theories that um, to do with erosion. Maybe there was sort of, you know, local, uh, well, global, I guess, Earth-based weather events that made those craters erode or whatever, right? So yeah. we're not actually seeing the craters that were created before 290 million years ago. But they've now started inspecting the moon and they've got, mm. um, what is it? The NASA's Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, LRO. Yeah. Which started circling the moon about a decade ago and it's mm-hmm. now starting to <clears throat> feed back a lot of this information. And so they can see on the moon, which doesn't suffer from all of these atmospheric disturbances that the yeah. Earth might. Yeah. And the same thing happened 290 million years ago. They basically So how do they increased. know from photos of the moon, because that's all that it is, how do they know the date of those? I, I don't know. I'm not okay. sure. I'm not sure. If I, the team, the uh, paper didn't go extensively into how they were dating. And them, at what point are we going to um, sort of fold in creator dating into the HSE syllabus? Ooh. Because oh. there's already like, you know, um, astronomy, right? So they go through like, you know, escape velocities and all the kind of like stuff that was cutting edge like 50 years ago. Hmm. At what point are we going to be like, yeah, dude, you have to be able to date a crater. Yeah. <laughs> like based oh, yeah. on the radius, the depth and whatever else. But like, yeah, there's an equation for crater dating. Yeah. You got to know that for the exam. The ripples in it. And yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, they tried to figure out... Seems fair game to me. In the discussion, they were posing a few options as to like what, why... What, what happened 290, 290 years ago? Million. Wait, can I think? <clears throat> well, feel free, but it's nothing... You know, 
Have a go. It's going to be conjecture anyway, so... Uh, Speak for yourself. Make it interesting. I might know. Okay, go for it. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. When did the dinosaurs... Uh, six, 65 million years ago. That's okay, so things picked up a while I'm remembering before. that from year five, mind you. Year I five, right. six, I think that it's about right. Seem about right. So this picked up quite a while before the dinosaurs got knocked off, right? Yep. So what happened to But, but that said, they were knocked off in that this new period of increased, you know, increased sure. you know, yeah, yeah. Um, 290 meteorite I activity. I have no idea what happened. Well, I don't know. They, they suggest, um, they speculate that it might be related to large collisions taking place um, in the main asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. So uh-huh. like a whole bunch of shit went down 300 yeah. years ago and we're still feeling the impacts of that when they're, they're orbiting out of, well, out of sync or whatever. And they're, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Jupiter mm. ascending. That's right. Out of equilibrium. It's all because of those asteroids. And a final aside from this piece of research, by the way, do you know yeah. what the Canadian shield is? Have you yeah. the Canadian shield? What is it? Yeah, the Canadian shield is a layer of igneous rock Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, right. That extends sort of through um, eastern Canada, around the uh, the Appalachians, and into so on, kind of around Quebec primarily, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's grade five geography <laughs> <Yeah>. or uh, <laughs> geology, or whatever we did. Yeah. Oh god. Oh, dude, the Canadian Shield. I'm well versed on the Canadian Shield. Very good. There was a band called Canadian Shield. Oh yeah. That's oh no, cool. sorry, not a band. There was a song that was called the Canadian Shield. I so was it was that reasonably accurate? Yeah, dude, you got it. That's it. But that, that's where they were sourcing a lot yeah. of this information for the yeah. So we do craters have, in the Canadian in the Canadian Shield. We do have a couple of like pockmarks yeah, craters, uh, yeah. in the that are the result of craters. In fact, there's one in particular I can think of, and I can see how it looks. It's, it's a lake now, I believe. Yeah, but that's that's how you would date it, right? If in the crater, you can see the you know striations of well, exactly. so rock. You'd Earth, be able to figure it out. I get it, right? Yeah, you can work it out because you can see how. Although it's such a devastating... Uh, yeah, so yeah, you would see what happened after it, right? You'd be able to see what fossils you could find or what, what organic material you would find. And you can carbon date this up. It's sitting right on that bedrock of where that thing was hit. Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, for the moon, though. Interesting. All right. to investigate. Cool. All right, so shall we go to the, the, main, main, event. the main event? Yeah. Sunscreen? Mm-hmm. We'll do it after this minor musical interlude. We'll be swaying together to this one. Welcome back, Jeremy's Iron. We're back. This is the podcast um, where we like to talk about science and research. And each week we have a little focus of our sort of collective self-professed intellects. Uh, this week a headliner. Is, yeah, this week is sunscreen. Uh, this particular, the article that was sent to us, yep. it was called Use of Sunscreen and Risk of Melanoma and Non-Melanoma Skin Cancer, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. So it's, it's, a, it's a mouthful. 
There are oh no, I've I've had more more mealy titles of research than that. But titles um, that eat like a meal. <laughs> yeah, the Guinness of titles. Yeah, European Journal of Dermatology from De Silva et al. I love all. Of so this work. was sent to us, and it was part of a, a grander discussion on whether um, sunscreen is effective, right? So this is from last year, by the way, this paper, and there's there's a couple of other fresh. meta-analyses. Yeah. That have happened this year. Now, do you want to do the quick rundown of what this well, one is about? Well, first, I want to go through a bit of background with this with you. Sure, please. You found this article through Carl. Yep, thank right? you, Carl. Um, how did it come up, and what was it, what did Carl think about it when he gave it to you? What? No, it was an open open inquiry. Like, you know, I found this, and I think uh, you know, sunscreen might not be all it's cracked up to be. It's uh-huh. a it's a thing. And so, but, so I guess the question is, yeah, in that conversation, what had Carl taken away from the article? Uh, well, I guess we didn't really go deep into what he was thinking about it. He was just more like... that's what I think is so interesting is... I think he was skeptical. Based on the title, I, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Based on the abstract. But I feel yeah. like he was skeptical. I feel like he was... Yeah. as No, sorry. As in skeptical of sunscreen. Hence thinking that there's probably something mm-hmm. to this sort of, you know... Okay. Conspiracy talk around big flop. No, big slop, right? Big slop. Okay, so I think there's a lot of ways we can go with this. Why don't we start by going through the paper a little bit, and then we'll talk a bit about sort of sunscreen science and, and things like that, right? Okay, sure. Okay, um, because if we go through the paper, it'll give listeners to get a bit of a bit of an idea of what they think about it first, and then we can kind of pull it apart a little bit, or not not pull it apart, but just dive a bit deeper. I think, right? All right. Okay. So, so start. Go. Well, the, the main the main point of the article, which was a meta analysis, now. Yeah. Which we'll, we love. We love meta-analyses. Yeah. We'll remind our listeners that's basically just using a whole bunch of previously done research and compiling all of their results to try to see in a meta sense what is the overarching effect of, say, sunscreen on melanoma or non-melanoma skin cancer. I like to get rid of the T, make it a G, and think of it as a mega-analysis. Mega-analysis? Yeah. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like that. I feel like you can coin you, you can sort of coin that as uh, your own piece of research. We should get involved well, in a mega analysis. If you, if you combined multiple meta analyses, would that be a mega analysis? Possibly. Yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah. So this guy's got one. If we found another dude who had put together another meta analysis of sunscreen, we could combine them into the world's first sunscreen mega analysis. <laughs> Very good, right? Uh, yeah, sure, great. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, um, yeah. So there, basically, it starts by saying there's four previous systematic reviews have been done that assessed the association between melanoma and sunscreen use. Yeah. Um, and all four of these meta analyses, uh, sorry, all four of these reviews showed no significant overall association between melanoma mm-hmm. and use of sunscreen. Yeah. And just so we're clear, when you say association. You mean a positive association, right? Well, it says no association at all. So no, but yeah, but right, but sure. But so typically, wh- if you were to say uh, there is an association between the two, in sort of colloquial speech, we might think that can be up or down, right? But typically, in a paper, if someone says there is an association between A and B, usually what they're saying is there's a positive association. Well, here's what becomes interesting. So. In the studies that Which happened, one increases the other. That's right. In the studies yeah. that happened in the sort of eighties and nineties, yeah, it actually showed that using sunscreen actually increased yeah. your chances of getting cancer. Well, that's this was the association, this mm-hmm. positive association yeah. between cancer and using sunscreen. Right? They've shown now that the current studies, more recent, up to date studies, that positive association is dwindling. Is dwindling such that now there is no association. But of course. 
we would expect there to be a negative association between sunscreen use and cancer, right? You'd expect that the more sunscreen you use, totally. the less. So what's going on? Well, interesting, interesting question. Um, there's potentially, well, the, the paper basically opines yeah. that sunscreen might not therefore be all that good. All it's cracked up to be. Well, I think if you read the paper, it sort of leads you there if you read the, the abstract and sort of the introduction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the results are fairly, so they kind of present them neutrally as you should. But the discussion takes away a lot of that confusion, I think. If you go through the discussion and their conclusion, they aren't suggesting that sunscreen in any way is bad for you, right? That's sort of left up to your own devices until you get to the discussion and get into a, get in the weeds a bit more about sunscreen science and and what they found, right? Well, this is um, the whole nature of the IMRAD structure of uh, articles, right? Like you, 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 don't, you don't put any of the, your spin yeah. on it until you're at the very exactly, end, right? right? Yeah, so if, as you read it, you could be forgiven for going through and being like, damn, Maybe they're saying that sunscreen is dangerous or used to be more dangerous than it is now. Um, now, in terms of the study design, what do you think? So we've, we've spoken a bit about why they did it and kind of what what they collected. What are your thoughts on... Uh, well, they actually mentioned this themselves, that yeah. they it potentially suffers from what's called heterogeneity, which means where you've got a, a lot of these different studies which don't have the same methods, right? They've actually yeah. done subtly different things. Yeah. If you try to jam them all together... It's a mess. It's, it's a bit of a mess. And they've actually they've admitted that in their limitation section of, yeah. this, of this paper, right? Yeah. And you can kind of guess that that would be the case because te- some of them are testing particular cancers. Some of them yeah. are testing cancer generally. What's the, what's the, you know, you've got to follow these people up, right? Because you've yeah. got to, you know, if it's a prospective study, you've got to assess their sunscreen use and sun exposure and then come back to them, what, 10, 15 years later, right? Mm. And that's only been done once, apparently. It's only been one sort of... Um, RCT of sorts that was incorporated into this meta-analysis. So it's a bit of a mishmash, but that said, to defend them, out of the mishmash, uh, out of the mishmash you'd expect that some of these would show that negative association between... Especially they had... Sunscreen and effectively cancer. Effectively 330,000 subjects, right? Mm. That's massive. That's, mm. That is... You can tease out some good data if you kind of do some variable control right yeah you think so that's right now now they, they also have they've also um, made some of their own um predictions as to why the result might be occurring if mm-hmm. indeed sunscreen is still effective why is that not showing up this effect yeah and they've mentioned a few things for example um people might not be using it correctly yeah so as in you, you don't put enough on yeah. you don't reapply and people think of you know i put someone in the okay, morning well, here bro i think before we get into their theories about what what the deal is mm. um why don't we go into a bit of a little, little sunscreen dive what do you know about sunscreen I don't, I don't mean that in an accusing way i mean what do you know about sunscreen um i would presume well i actually don't know very much about the the compounds i'm rubbing into my skin and stuff I know it smells awesome. Sometimes. I love the smell of sunscreen. Favorite brand? Uh, banana Boat. Banana Boat? Yeah, of course. I've, I had some today, but we'll talk about that in a second. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Put it on Put it on your muesli. <laughs> <laughs> Flavor most, put it on your toast. Yeah. Um, um, so I don't know too much. I don't know okay. about the... I presume there'd be some kind of like... Is there some metallic element of it? That's, Can be, yeah. That, so... So sunscreen, or even let's go. Let's go zinc, further. right? Zinc, zinc is a good. Let's thing. go back a little bit. What do you know about sun damage and UV rays? 
Okay, so UV would hit the skin. Yeah. Um, and then in the process of burning slash like modifying, there'd be some kind of like effect on, is it some effect on the DNA? I'm going to show my ignorance yeah. here. Yeah, it is. It is. But the, sun, the UV rays interact with your DNA and can form malformations of said DNA, which... Essentially, yeah. So, um, let's start at the beginning. UV, it's actually a bit more complicated. There's two kinds of UV. Ah. Right? So, the same way we have so different, um, different energies of visible light can create different colors. Mm -hmm. UV is the same. Infrared, UV, it's just another kind of um, bandwidth on the electromagnetic spectrum, mm -hmm. right? So you have UVA and UVB, and they're different frequencies. Um, and they both affect us differently. So UVB is the probably the most common one and the one that's most commonly blocked by sunscreens. Um, UVB doesn't go past this, kind of the top couple layers of cells in your skin. Right. And that's the one that gives you sunburns. That's the one that kind of gets you all hot and bothered, right? Um, but UVA goes deeper. UVA are a higher frequency of, of ray that goes deeper into your skin, and that's where the cells are that it actually damages. Interesting. Right? So all things, be, they tend to come together, right? So all things being equal, if you're out in the sun, your sunburn is a good sort of uh, gauge for how much UV exposure you're getting. And so you can kind of tell, potentially, how much damage you're exposing your cells to based on how red you are or how the, kind of the cutaneous manifestations of, mm. of UV exposure, mm. right? But here's where it gets interesting. Um, sunscreen sometimes blocks both, but more often than not, mainly blocks UVB. We're much better blocking UVB than we are UVA. Well, that makes sense because UVB seems to be the weaker of the two, right? That doesn't penetrate as far. Yeah. So and for some reason, we're just not as good. It's harder to find compounds that can block uh, UVA, UVA effectively, right? But if you are a... Now, no, if, you're, if you're making sunscreen, and this is not to make sunscreen companies look like they're uh, evil corporations, but if actually that gives them a really easy job, right? Because what is the only thing you notice if you're in the sun too long? It's the sunburn, right? Right. You don't notice... Skin cancer. That's right. For decades, you, potentially. You, you're not going to connect the skin cancer to an individual The one event. brand that you use, right? But you will connect that one sunburn you had to that one brand, right? That's right. So if they're better at blocking UVB, you put all your sunscreen on, you have a great day, and you've not gotten burnt. You're like, hey, this is great. I'll, I'll stay in the sun as long as I want today because mm. I am clearly not getting damaged by UV rays. Now, all we've done is we've decoupled sort of what's effectively a signal Mm. from the actual damage, right? Mm. So meanwhile, if you're copping UVA, you might be still getting a pretty heavy dose of UVA the entire time you're sitting there in the sun, right? And it's actually providing you this false sense of security. Totally. Yeah. So what the article goes into a little bit is how um, in their discussion, sunscreen in the 80s, which is kind of where this stuff started, 70s and 80s, I think is the first couple of studies that had a high positive correlation between sunscreen use um, and sun and, and melanoma or skin cancers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're probably the, the main reason for that is probably twofold. Um, number one, those are fairly crude sunscreens back then, and they were significantly better blocking UVB than they were about that blocking UVA. So well, they just that, weren't really targeting the mm. thing that's actually causing the melanoma. So we're all going around thinking we were. That would have been like what SPF two, SPF five. Well, no, I mean, do they even have yes. SPF? Well, we do have much higher SPFs now than we right. did before, right? But they might have still had your 15s and your 30s. 
but they were just blocking burn because skin SPF is based on burning, mm-hmm. right? So the time taken to burn relative to the time with the sunscreen versus the time taken to burn without the sunscreen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a ratio for how much longer you can stay in the sun. Um, so they're only looking at burn and that's all they actually claim to do. They don't really claim to prevent kind of deep cellular solar damage. Mm. Um, so they do, we're kind of just assuming they do because we're still coupling burns and, and deep damage, but we've, again, we've uncoupled that with some of these sunscreens. So there's that. And also in the eighties, we're idiots, right? We weren't even that far off from people smoking all the time. Um, people didn't really realize maybe not even the companies themselves, particularly how often you need to use sunscreen. And we have a lot of studies showing very much how badly educated people probably still are. But how often you need to reapply sunscreen, and you need to reapply sunscreen like tons, and you also need to put way more on than you think. Yeah. Uh, so there's tons of studies looking at people's kind of sunscreen habits, and they've shown that they just don't have any understanding about really how much you need to put on and how frequently you can put it on. So mm. in the 80s, we're probably a using bad sunscreen, uh, and b not even using that bad sunscreen enough. Um, flash forward to now, we're getting better at blocking UVA. In fact, we can block most of it with the right sunscreens, especially well, if you use your sunscreen frequently enough and in a high enough dosage, mm. as in putting on enough of it. And I think clearly this this paper shows that whatever the case was 10, 20 years yeah. ago, there has been an improvement, even though it might be an improvement now to yeah. baseline where yeah. Which we're no longer causing more cancer by yeah. using sunscreen. Uh, th- there has been some improvement. So clearly the sunscreen mm. has gotten better or our usage of it has improved. Yeah, so I think we're sort of defogging the uh, sort of the what's happened, like the the, so the association between skin cancer and yeah. and sunscreen. The other thing is that there's also tons of studies talking about um, vitamin D. Well, no, because no. because oh, this people, w- dude, people are if you're getting skin cancer, you're getting tons of vitamin D, right? Like, well, I think this if, is the, if there was a time where uh, even people using sunscreen were still having skin cancer. You're getting tons of vitamin. You're getting way well, that's more. That's right. So I saw that and I was like, I got to put a strike through through that part of oh, the. Oh, it's crazy. And and you need so little sun exposure. Yeah, the, to the get theory being D. that if you're wearing sunscreen, you're actually not then getting enough vitamin yeah. D. Look, which you're not wearing has a burqa. Shown... And that's actually the problem is that they're not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're yeah. not like wearing a burqa like people think they are. You know. Yeah. So, yeah, you you can't have this paper which shows this risk of sun cancer not being good enough, mm-hmm. and talk about vitamin D insufficiency yeah, sure. in the same breath. Now. We do, though, have some papers talking about how um, sunscreen in general, whether it's through kind of the visible burn-mediated cues people get or or otherwise, people do spend much more time in the sun than they do when they don't wear sunscreen. Of course. And that's part of the problem, right? You put sunscreen on and you go to the beach Mm -hmm. for five hours. Um, You wouldn't be putting that sunscreen on if you weren't going to the beach. So you're positively selecting for people who are engaging in at-risk sun behavior just by sheer virtue of them putting their sunscreen on, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a problem. The other thing too, there's this thing called in, in epidemiology called confounding by indication, which is yeah. a subtle variant on what you were talking about. And uh-huh. this is, if you've, if you've ever heard someone say, you know, I always wear sunscreen because I have a history of cancer, sun, skin cancer in my family, mm-hmm. or I always wear sunscreen yeah. because I had like some dodgy mole that was re- removed last year, right? Yeah. There's some indication that actually prompts your usage of yeah. sunscreen and it might be that indication which causes your cancer, right? So exactly. someone that doesn't have a family history of um, skin cancer might then not use sunscreen mm-hmm. and they might not then get cancer, right? So yeah. 
it is almost, it seems to be, at least at this point, impossible to tease apart the effect of using sunscreen on, on the individual in terms of whether they're going to develop cancer. And the, fi- sure. the, the additional point to note there is that y- you can't really conduct an RCT really on people's usage of sunscreen, right? Because you have to randomize people to use either, you know, sunscreen or they're just rubbing milk, well, yo- yo- sunscreen or yogurt, right? You get randomized, <laughs> one pause. of them. Well, and then you have to follow them up for like, what, 10, 15 years? And yeah. it, there'd be a whole lot of ethical what bullshit you can behind do, all I of think, that stuff. You, you can set up an RCT to look for burns and like short-term damage. And people have done that. So there are studies looking That's at, right. you can take a picture of someone's, you know, they have those like, um, uh, you can look at someone's face through a certain frequency of, of light, right? Mm. And a filter. And you can see what kind of solar damage they have. And you do get like things like sunspots and whatever else, right? Um, so you can you could probably follow someone up for a period of a few weeks. And I think people have done that. But they give them these very strengths of sunscreen or they or they just monitor how much they use it, but prospectively, right? Mm. So they say, I'm gonna, we're going to follow you guys up. We have like solar detectors so we know how much sun you are getting. We know how much sunscreen you've used. And they can then take these photos down the track a month, a few months down the track and look for the subtle signs of photo damage. Mm. Um, and that we do know that man, we're not going we're not hiding the fact that UV rays do cause um, kind of DNA damage. And that's what causes skin cancer, whether it's, whether it's melanomas or otherwise, it's highly linked to UV exposure. But so you can kind of do a much more abbreviated study, which you can then sort of extrapolate to the dangerous stuff, right? Mm. But the short-term stuff isn't particularly dangerous because just start wearing sunscreen again. It's only a month. It's, you, don't, you won't get skin cancer from a casual month's sun exposure, right? That's right. But yeah. you might get some subtle, invisible to RI kind of photo damage. So I think there are ways to do it, right? And people are doing that kind of stuff. Um, but I guess we could also talk a little bit about what those chemicals are because the impression you get, like we said, reading this paper is that potentially sunscreen is or has been at some time in the past, maybe really quite dangerous, like in and of itself, right? It Mm. could be causing cancer. And there is actually some truth to that. And this paper didn't go into it. And it didn't talk about that as one of the theories. But that is actually to some extent true from what we can tell that there are two different kinds of sunscreen. Now, do you know this? No, no, no. So, you can have like occlusive, um, or sorry, rather mineral or chemical sunscreens, right? So a mineral sunscreen, your zinc oxides, mm-hmm. titanium oxides, mm-hmm. they're metals. They reflect the, um, UV. the UV rays right back to the sun, right? Yeah. Now, which means that the more they reflect, you can theoretically get down to zero rays. I mean, that is like a burka, a mm. liquid burka for yourself, right? <laughs> right. And that means it blocks everything, UVA, UVB. Burka in a bottle. Burka in a bottle. That should be our sunscreen brand. Very good. Very good. Pretty good. Yeah. We'd show you how it looks, but we're not allowed to. (laughs) We'd show you how milky your skin can be. Um, But, and then there's chemical ones, right? And chemical sunscreens operate, it's actually a bit like the colors white and black, right? White just reflects stuff. Black absorbs, then re-radiates. Got it. Right? So the chemical sunscreens have chemicals that for whatever reason, based on um, on their structure, they're particularly attuned to absorbing those frequencies of light, mm-hmm. the UVA and the UVB, um, takes it and then re-radiates that again, right? So it kind of absorbs and kind of buffers some of that uh, that damage. Um, 
there's still I guess much... if, if it's absorbing it, your skin cells are not absorbing exactly. it, right? Yeah. yeah, so it's kind of taking the hit for you. Got it. Um, so the way to work out what your sunscreen has is look at your bottle. If it's a zinc or titanium oxide, it's mineral. If it's any other chemical that you don't recognize, it's going to be a chemical sunscreen. And I think they seem to rarely mix the two either. It's typically either... Interesting. I have no idea. This is all yeah. fresh to me. And these so which, chemical, one, which one's banana? Banana boat's banana, obviously. So, that's so mi- I had some mineral, today. Banana right? boat is a... The, the one I had, at least, was a chemical sunscreen. All right. right? Um, and the chemical sunscreens, I think, are a little bit easier to use and people like them because they actually go into your skin rather than sitting on top of your skin, mm. which means I think they're a little bit easier to absorb. They're a bit more comfortable. Um, but the downside is they're not as good at blocking UVA. They're quite good at blocking UVB. And because the they actually absorb the UV rays they get broken down by the UV rays. They actually get destroyed. So they don't wash off. I mean, they can wash off, but they do get absorbed by your skin to some extent, and then you kind of just get rid of them later. But they actually get destroyed, and they get broken down. Mm. And what can happen is, um, when they get broken down, they can actually, they themselves, and they get broken down by the UV rays, they create what are called reactive oxygen species, right? It's these like your free radicals. Things we've talked about before in the podcast that, Turmeric is meant to help with, help but with doesn't. Absorb all your free um, radicals. Yeah, so these reactive oxygen species go around and they attack things, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you do probably get some degree of direct UV damage, but you also get these reactive oxygen species that go around attacking cells directly as well, right? Okay. And DNA and all that kind of stuff. H- hence why you'd be looking for not just melanomic cancers, mm. but other kinds of cancer too, right? Yeah. And so um, when the UV hits your cells, they cause themselves reactive oxygen species which which kind of mediate the damage but when you have sunscreen that's been on too long and starting to break down they themselves release some of these chemicals which are then exacerbated by the uv rays so if you don't keep on reapplying your sunscreen to keep on blocking what's breaking down on your skin what happens is it's not just that you're not getting enough sun uh, sun protection you're actually augmenting the damage from the sun so how's that? Interesting, for Andy, right? Interesting. Oh so, my god. Okay. So, so if, you, but, if you use it inappropriately, you're not just getting no effect; you're getting a negative effect, or rather, a positive association between the sun and the damage it causes. And there are papers that have shown this. Yes. Conclusively. Oh, we, uh, yeah, yeah. No, we know that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. But but if but, used by the manufacturers, they themselves aren't particularly dangerous in and of themselves. They are safe, but combined with UV light, which is unfortunately what they're made for. Yeah. <laughs> It's That's not right. like you don't wear them when you go to bed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's a bad Not design. to be taken outdoors. Yeah. You won't see that. But if you use them the way they tell you to use them and you yeah. reapply frequently enough. Then it's fine. Then it they, breaks down by the time the sun, yeah. you're not in the sun anymore. And then yeah. it, it's not actually going to yeah. cause so you any harm. There is actually a scientific explanation for a positive correlation between sunscreen use. Um, you could be worse off if you use it badly than if you didn't use it at all. Mm. And that's interesting, right? So from my, in my book... The safest one to use is um, the mineral ones. I guess that makes sense. And right? we're much better at making the mineral ones now than we used to be. They're much more comfortable. It's not like the zinc you wear on your nose to uh, as a lifeguard. Like you can get zinc sunscreens that are effectively invisible, mm. um, and it sits on top of your skin. It's not absorbed by your skin, and so what happens is you sweat it off or you wash it off. That's generally how it works because because yeah. UV rays they're metal, right? UV rays can't break down metal. That's my understanding of it, right? So they provide a physical barricade to the UV rays. And also I feel like people are going to respond more sort of 
get repelled by the idea of chemical substances. Oh, yeah, right? If you just told someone it's a mineral, you'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm yeah, just it's, rubbery, it's certainly rubbing. easier to kind of uh, get your head around. Digest right? on a very yeah. superficial level. So what they do is they mix up, <laughs> if you get the chemical ones, you look in the back, it's sometimes one or two chemicals, sometimes up to five or six. Mm. And like, like octreotide and benzyl something something, right? Like they all have these fairly kind of classic names like that. Um, and they'll often have, like I said, quite a few of them because they each kind of target different bandwidths or different frequencies of the UV light. Mm. So some of them will be kind of kind of buffer in and capture the UVB rays more. Some of them will be used to kind of pick up the other end, the UVA rays, the other ones are catching so well. So it's sort of like a, a UV cocktail um, because they're just not particularly great because they have to absorb it. And it's like, um, it's like guitar strings, right? They vibrate to a certain frequency naturally, right? Mm. So you have to have a different chemical to kind of work within different frequencies of this light. Um, so it's just kind of this, it's, it takes a lot more engineering and a bit more trial and error. So I say, wear the uh, the zinc burka. The, the burka. Yeah. The burka in the yeah. I've got another one for you. UV Ray Vaughan. UV Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Yeah, I like <laughs> that. That's pretty good. Yeah. So we can have a listener poll yeah. for our uh, sunscreen, our mineral sunscreen. We're going to start... Uh, manufacturing uv yep. ray vaughan or burka in a bottle i feel like one of them is a, a little bit less uh less charged in a uh religious context oh in a religious context sure because no one talks about steve ray vaughan anymore no, so, that's right. <laughs> so I, I i was thinking you were concerned that no one would know what it was about that, srv that, well that's fine i've got no problem with that that's my life yeah so yeah this is this was a good paper because of, I think, some of the questions it raised. I think, I think it was done well. Mm. They acknowledge their limitations. It's not a, you know, it's a, it's a tough field of study. But they do show an interesting trend. And I think that trend is explainable by some, with a little understanding of kind of sunscreen history and a little bit of the science behind sunscreen. Yeah, but uh, for me, like, I still don't quite buy the final finding that there's not a negative relationship between sunscreen use and cancers, as in, well, in that it's not protective. Sure. Because... Well, it's not saying there isn't. No, it's just, in, of course. In an individual a, when a, it's a used properly, right? What it's saying, and this is the big problem, it's, I see this paper as less of a pure and applied science paper and more of a paper that kind of delves into public policy and uh, sort of public health, right? Which mm. is, this is telling us that, yeah, we have these things. We know that we have certain compounds that can block and stop uv rays and uv rays cause cancer so therefore you block the cancer the uv rays it should be dropping your your cancer rates mm. but we're just not using it well enough so here we have these so, you know we do have these good campaigns in australia but they're still not work or at least up until the last couple of years they're still not as good as they can be because we're not using the tools well enough and yeah and there's actually another paper that came out even later last year in october by rug that's r-u-e Double G. I think there's another E as well. Et al. Um, Good first name. Yeah. Rug. Yeah. Uh, Challenges in assessing the sunscreen melanoma association. They bring up all of these, all of these issues like, like we've been discussing on this, this episode. Yeah. Um, But this is an ongoing thing, it seems. And I don't think we've heard the last in the scientific, you know, in scientific halls. Yeah. I don't think we've heard the last from this sunscreen um, quandary. The prime issue, I think, being the fact that the distance between exposure and outcome is so long, mm-hmm. um, you know, numerous years. And you've yeah. also got that weird issue of confounding by indication think, as well. That I think we're always going to have this... We're always going to have to take some sort of a leap between 
acknowledging damage and then establishing cancer, right? So we know where the precursors are to cancer. We know what we can see from the sun damage that we've experimented with. So being in the sun for too long will will give you cancer, right? Like as in not consequentially, but yeah. like it, it will increase your probability of getting cancer. Yeah. We know that for sure, right? Yeah. Um, some amount of sun is obviously healthy. So you need to get a bit of vitamin D and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's it's fairly non-controversial to say that excess yeah. sun exposure gives you yeah. cancer. Because we do have, you know, obviously big retrospective studies looking at people who are and who are not exposed to sun and we do see obviously a much higher... Yeah, people with outdoor jobs yeah. tend to get a lot more sun cancer. It's like, it's not... You know, sunbathe every day down at Bondi. They have a much higher chance of getting these problems. So there's no confusion about that link. And all we can do is use kind of um, one of the short-term markers of sun exposure as a metric for measuring how good that sunscreen use or compliance is. Right? I guess my, my question is how, how rock solid is that mechanism of UV causing that's causing the cancer from sunlight? I mean, that's basically it, right? There's nothing yeah. else that could be causing the sun cancer, right? So, yeah. so we know that UV causes the cancer. We know that sunlight is the source of that UV. Yeah. And we also know that these sunblocks do block the UV rays, right? Yeah. So it, it's not as if we can say that using... I, I think I'm pretty satisfied that, that yeah. wearing sun cream, yeah. sunblock or whatever, the process of rubbing sunblock into your skin is not causing you cancer. Well, not if you use it properly. Well, I'm just saying, like, if, yeah. I'm, if I'm indoors and I'm, I'm putting sun cream on my body, that's not actually going to cause me any cancer, right? If I don't wear sun cream every day and yeah. don't go out in the sun, just for shits and giggles, because <laughs> I love the smell, right? Yeah. That's, you you wear no, no, like I cologne. I, but th th there's, a, there's an issue of causality here, right? Yeah. So I think it's fairly, for me, fairly plain to say that rubbing sun cream into your skin, the process of doing that is not causing you cancer. What? I did, to be honest, I think it does depend on what kind of sunscreen you're using. Okay, the mineral stuff that we we're talking about before, right? So sure. just putting putting a little bit of yeah. titanium, whatever, on your yeah. skin. And they say zinc better than titanium. Sure, the way. whatever. Sure. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like to me that's there's it's a no brainer that there's no positive effect of the actual process of putting yes. sun cream on your on your skin. Correct. <clears throat> so it is an issue of what do we then do when we're in the sun and do we apply it properly? And is there some kind of like, um, you know, that, that confounding by indication where people that are more likely to get cancers will be using the sunscreen in the first place. Yeah, I think that's so I, I, for me, that, these are the issues as opposed to whether I should wear sun cream when I go out in the sun. I still think, yes, you should wear, okay, our mineral sun cream. Yeah. Um, when you go out in the sun. I think with, what, you should, with, what with we should take from this paper. Gay abandon. I think what we should take from this paper is that um, we need to think more critically about how we're using the sunscreen we're wearing mm. and be more responsible with how we're using it. So it's not enough. But what it's saying is, it's not enough just to be, yes, sunscreen. You've got to use the sunscreen and use it properly, right? Yeah. Um, that it's sort of a, a long-term commitment on that day to, to using the sunscreen. That's mm. what it seems to be teasing out. Um, and then I added the kind of the more recent science about some of these chemical um, sunblocks uh, and their potential kind of dangers that they that they present now i don't think it's nearly as much as just sun by itself but there does seem to be a problem with using it um and having some degree of, of skin damage which is similar to the damage you get from uv rays and it's made much worse by the uv rays but 
they seem to not be super great when they break down by themselves. Hmm. Um, so that requires a bit more research, but certainly it, the evidence does seem to show that it can be worse for you than using it not at all. Cool. So I think this is a really good springboard for lots of ideas and talk about, about especially in this country. Cool. Have you got any other thoughts? Any other no, questions? I think that's kind of wrapped it up for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it, it, Carl's probably sitting back going like, well, what the, what the fuck, man? Like, do I wear sunscreen on it? Yes, you, like, do. you do. But I think you do. But at the same time, recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. Wear a mineral sunscreen. Yeah. But basically, any physical blockade is ideal, right? Yeah. Block the UV rays as much as possible. Wear Hide bur- behind a friend. Wear a burqa, right? That's basically what we're trying to say, right? That's all we're saying. Okay, I think that will do us. Uh, we probably need to do a little bit of just a quick, quick cleaning up around our... Um, our uh, a little housekeeping? Uh, well, a little housekeeping, <laughs> considering that we started something last week, which we're going to continue, by the way, but yeah. playing some magic cards. Uh-huh. Um, last week on the podcast, we decided it was uh, due time, 25 years after the... Um, the genesis and why of the did we start playing? To get in because the evidence was in that it was a good game. That's right. So we, we waited used... 25 years to collect enough data. Right. We weren't going to start straight away no. and just jump into a game. That was crazy. What five years, ten years in? Please. So we've waited 25 years. Yeah. And we're playing. The jury's out. The, the wait. Jury's in. <laughs> the, the jury's, jury's back. back. The jury's back. Cracking game. Great game. We're we're all over it, right? We're very much into it. Yeah. Uh, we've played a grand total of I think one game. One game. <laughs> Yeah, but, but I played on my phone for a week. Oh, well, and you're way what? in advance of me. Slash, I feel like slash two days. Okay. Slash one night. <laughs> Whatever. But I played it. What we will do before next week is have a have a swim off. So I think we'll that, that's our next little competition. By the way. Yeah, we are going to have a swim off. Mono I think we'll mono. talk a bit more about the swim off. Maybe we'll yeah uh, before we do it. But we got to do it soon. <laughs> How are you feeling for it? Feel I'm strong? ready, man. I'm going to smoke you. You don't know what you're up against. This is Jeremy Zion. Tune in next week while we're doing it. I don't know what we're going to do. We might even look at that egg situation. Who knows? Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Hashtag. Net, what was it? <laughs> I don't know what to expect. Um, hashtag false egative. Yeah. I can't believe you were, you blanked on that one. You just stone cold gave that one nothing. Sorry. I'm dumb. Catch you next week. See ya. Bye. Now look at it.